0: Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University.
1: Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. Our guest for this podcast is Dr. Jason Reese, assistant professor of business administration in the marketing unit at Harvard Business School. His Ph.D. is in social and cognitive psychology from the University of Michigan, and he completed postdoctoral training at Princeton University's Center for Health and Wellbeing. His research examines health-related consumer behavior and patient behavior using the methods and theories of experimental psychology and behavioral economics, and I can say that he does some very interesting and creative work. Welcome, Jason. Glad to have you here. Thanks, Kelly. So you've done some work, or you're undertaking some work in how healthy choices can be encouraged in retail settings, and you've worked in several such settings, but let's start with fast food, the fast food setting. Can you explain your input, the reason for getting involved in this type of work? And then we can talk specifically about what you're doing.
0: Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, we know that uh, health costs and health problems in America and worldwide are driven largely by um, individual consumer behaviors, particularly eating behaviors. We know that uh, as American consumers, we tend to eat too much uh, and too much of the wrong things. Uh, So I was interested in thinking about what it is that the environments in which we do eat could make it easier for us to make better choices. And there are lots of efforts on the policy front to try to uh, improve the situation, Uh, taxes on sugared sodas, calorie labels at fast food restaurants. And I think those have their place, but I think there are other things that we can do.
1: So eating at, at, out at restaurants uh, isn't, is a very interesting place to start just because people are consuming more and more of their calories outside the home.
0: Right. Uh, many more calories compared to what we used to a generation ago. Uh, and those fit, foods tend to be, we're not only eating more meals there, but the meals there tend to be higher in calories than the meals that we eat at home. Uh, so it's a big challenge. Uh, the first study that I did was some colleagues uh, at Duke University, Dan Ariely, Uh, and Janet Schwartz, who's now at Tulane, and Brian Elbell, who's at uh, NYU. We did a study at a fast food restaurant uh, on the campus down there, and we just tried to do the opposite of supersizing, a practice that McDonald's used to have, whereby every customer was asked if they'd like a larger portion of whatever it was that they had ordered. We thought, well, what would happen if we asked people if they would like a smaller portion of whatever it was that we ordered? And we reasoned that most consumers know that they overeat, um, and they often have regret afterwards, so if we could ask them at just the right time, would you like a little bit less than we we would usually give you? We figured quite a few people would take us up on that, uh, and indeed they did
1: oh that 's so interesting so when what would the script sound like so let 's say you 're the person behind the counter and i 'm the person ordering. And I say I'd like the quarter pounder with cheese value meal or something.
0: Right. So I should say we didn't do this at McDonald's. Right. Um, we did it at a fast food, uh, Chinese food chain. And we did the intervention on the side dishes. And the side dishes tend to be very caloric. Uh, they were serving typically four or 500 calories worth of rice or noodles with every meal. And that's tasty food, but it's not the most delicious part of the of the meal. We thought that would be the easiest place where people would be willing to give up a little bit. So anytime uh, on the test days that a customer ordered one of these side dishes, and that was about 95% of customers, the clerk was trained to say, would you like to save about 200 calories by taking a half portion of that side dish? And about one in three customers said yes.
1: That's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, so they save quite a lot, quite a few calories, um, 200 or 250 calories depending on the side dish. Uh, when you look across the interventions, uh, we saved about 100 calories for every customer who who entered the store on average, just with that simple prompt.
1: Boy, the the beauty of something like that. I mean, some, somebody listening might say, well, it's only 100 calories, but boy, 100 calories multiplied by the times of times, number of times people eat at fast food restaurants really could make a big difference.
0: That's right. It's potentially a number of pounds per year.
1: Right. And then obviously the intervention is inexpensive because it's simply training the staff to say certain things.
0: Yeah, that's right. And we didn't, in some conditions, we offered a, sm- a very small discount to take a smaller portion. Others, we offered no discount at all and people were still quite happy to take it.
1: Oh, so how much um, difference did the discount make?
0: The discount actually made no difference. None. Uh, we found about 35% uh, uptake rate, whether we offered a 25-cent discount on a 6 or $7 meal or, or no discount at all. In subsequent studies, we ended up offering the discount all the time because it was just a more natural way for clerks to offer something like that. But
1: even in cases where consumers were asked to pay the same for less food they still did it. Like yeah. a third of people did it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people know that they overeat. And it, there's no question that consumers want value uh, and they don't want to feel that they're being ripped off. But if they get the sense that the store is doing this as a way of making it easier for them to overeat, the store's not doing it to save money per se, uh, then I think consumers are quite happy. And we didn't we didn't hear any complaints from customers about Uh, the invitation to take a smaller portion.
1: So is it in the interest of restaurants to do this? Uh, The reason I ask is there will be some restaurants who might feel they can capitalize on the health-conscious part of the population, so there may be a niche that they would attract that they otherwise wouldn't have, but one could also say that it's in the interest of these restaurants to keep upsizing and upsizing because consumers are willing to pay more than it costs them for the extra food.
0: Yeah, it's a real challenge, and... um, there, it, because uh, the marginal cost of, of making larger portions is so small for the restaurant, uh, it is generally in their interest to make larger portions uh, to satisfy the small percentage of people who want as absolutely much as they can get. Um, but there is a substantial segment of customers, I think our study shows, who would like right size portions. And that's actually the solution that we suggest is trying to introduce language around Right-sizing—not necessarily small, but right-sized portions—and um, if we, can, if consumers can get in the habit of asking for that, and restaurants can get in the habit of knowing what that means and being able to serve it efficiently, then we could see a real change in the portion size landscape in restaurants. So,
1: how did the restaurant respond after they did this, and they had experience with it? Did they see it as a positive development?
0: I think they saw the result as interesting. The test was never devised as one that was sort of shovel-ready in the sense of a, uh, something that they could just adopt right away. And it, it is true that while it, it's simple enough for the clerks to ask this, it's not costless. Uh, it's still another thing that the clerks have to do. The offer is not always understood. Uh, at busy times, It can it can get in the way. So this wasn't quite ready to go. But it was designed as a proof of concept that there is demand for these smaller portions out there. And the next step is to think of a way of really implementing something like this in a way that uh, could be done at scale.
1: Interesting. Uh, do you have any idea whether the restaurants continue to do it after your study was done?
0: Uh, I'm not sure.
1: Okay. That'll be fun. F- interesting to check. Yeah. So another setting where you've worked are h- hospitals. And there's been increasing interest in food served in hospitals, not, I mean, certainly what's being served to the people who are there as patients, but also just what's being served in the cafeterias and things. Tell us about your work on that, if you would.
0: Yeah. Well, it would seem that hospital cafeterias ought to be terrific places to go and get healthy food, but they're not necessarily. Hospitals run on very tight budgets, and um, they want to do the same thing that all food service operations do and provide food that people like and are used to eating. So they a lot of the hospital cafeterias look very much like our fast food and casual dining restaurants, very calorie-dense foods uh, in very large portions. So I was able to work with some colleagues at Mass General Hospital, a large hospital in Boston. The cafeteria there gets about 6,000 customers through it every day. Um, a mix of staff and hospital visitors. And we tried a labeling intervention, uh, as well as a couple of other things, to see if we could move consumer behavior around a little bit, get people eating slightly healthier foods. So what did you do? We did a traffic light labeling system. So we've all heard about calorie labels, which have been introduced in a number of jurisdictions in the U.S. and uh, should be coming nationwide through the Affordable Care Act in a few years. Um, and those have had some positive effects, uh, but haven't moved customer behavior quite as much as uh, many policymakers might have hoped. So we, tried, we We were looking for something simpler and more direct. All foods and beverages on the menu were labeled red, yellow, or green. Red being less healthy, green being most healthy, yellow somewhere in between. And we used some messaging around it. Green foods, you're told to eat these more often, yellow, uh, red foods people were told, not, don't eat this, never eat this, this is horrible, but there's probably a better choice in yellow or green.
1: And how how did it affect people?
0: Behavior changed quite significantly. So the, the tests that we ran, uh, we collected cash register receipts, uh, all cash register receipts. This is over a, a million transactions for three months. And then the labeling went into effect and we collected another three months worth of uh, cash register receipts, so another million or so transactions, and we saw a pretty significant decline, so about a 10% decline in the purchase of red items, and that was offset by increases in sale of healthier green and yellow items. So revenue at the cafeteria was not affected, that was flat, but we saw a pretty substantial change in the, in the balance of foods that were being purchased.
1: that's an interesting point about the revenue being flat, because a a food service might worry about losing money if people were changing from one food to another because they might just eat less overall.
0: Absolutely, and that's just not what we saw. And the same was true at the fast food restaurant uh, where we did the downsizing, I should note. uh, the Revenues at the store were were quite flat through that period. Um, But yeah, the cafeteria where we're looking at a much uh, larger time frame this was really quite encouraging.
1: I don't know if your perception is the same as mine, but I'm sensing that lots of hospitals around the country are looking to do things like this. Yeah. I mean, different hospitals are doing different things, but the spirit of it all is to try to help people make healthier choices.
0: Yeah. I, I think they recognize that it's a it's a major opportunity, and hospitals should be setting a very good example. And they do serve a lot of people, both patients and visitors uh, and hospital staff. Um, And you would think that hospital staff would be particularly interested in maintaining healthy lifestyles. And of course, many of them are. They're probably a little better than average, Um, but not that much better than average.
1: Right. Well, that's very, it's fascinating that you're doing work in these different settings. Now, you've also thought about doing work in supermarkets or may have started that. Explain why the supermarket setting is so important. I mean, it's pretty obvious that that's where people buy a lot of their food, but there are things about supermarkets that guide people toward healthier versus unhealthy options and things.
0: Yeah. Supermarkets are a real challenge. I mean, people are still buying most of their food at supermarkets. Um, but, of course, so much of it is uh, very high in calorie and very unhealthy. And uh, many supermarkets are actively trying to improve the situation, and um, at least they say they are, and, and I, most of the managers that I talk to, I, I genuinely believe that. Um, most of them have uh, groups of dietitians working for them, and dietitians are, of course, very committed to uh, improving the eating behaviors of, of consumers. So there's some real efforts. A lot of the efforts are around labeling, trying to find ways of labeling products so that consumers can better understand what it is that they're getting. Uh, and in the supermarket, that would seem important because there are so many products and it can be very confusing. At the same time, um, people by and large know what's healthy and what isn't. So when we ran these studies, at the, just going back to the hospital uh, cafeteria for a moment, everybody knows that sugared soda is labeled red, but still putting a red label on it reduced sales of it. And that's the kind of thing that supermarkets are reluctant to do. And the managers that I've talked to there say, what what we're good at is positive marketing, selling things to people. What we're not good at is getting people to not buy things. And I think they accept that some, some of that is what's going to happen. We know that if we're going to solve the obesity problem in America, people are going to have to drink fewer calories um, of sugared soda and eat fewer calories of calorie-dense salty, fatty snacks. Now, it's hard, though, for a supermarket to say, well, we're just not going to sell those things. Because if they do, customers are going to go around the corner of the competition, and they'll go out of business.
1: The, tell me about the the way the profit margins work in the supermarkets, because the lore out there is that the profit margins are highest on the worst foods. And so why would a supermarket be interested in promoting healthier foods? Now, that, that would work... in in a public health way, only if if people start buying, say, more fruits and vegetables, that they bought less of the other things. That would seem contrary to the interest of the markets. it could be that what the markets are perceiving is that people will continue to buy as much of the other stuff as they already have, but then just add to it yeah. some of these healthier things, in which case it works for the market. But tell me about my logic. Is how, how does that system work?
0: So a couple of things. I don't think it's systematically true that margins are higher on the unhealthy foods. Margins can be quite high for stores on fruit and vegetables. Um, and part of that is because of the power of the manufacturers. Uh, Coke and Pepsi uh, have a tremendous amount of power within the store, and they have, because consumers are so devoted to those product lines, they have, uh, the a store cannot do without them. So they have a fair bit of power in negotiating the prices to which they sell to these stores uh, and the promotional arrangements that are made. Um, I think the, the main thing to know about margins at supermarkets is that they really are very low. The operating profit of a typical supermarket is around 2%. Um, so that's that's pretty thin. Uh, to make money, a supermarket really has to be very efficient and charging prices that are just right. So to make a major change in a product category would be a pretty big deal. That said, I think they could do it. Um, if supermarkets took on the challenge of saying something like, all right, the average beverage that we sell is going to have to have uh, uh, fewer calories per ounce uh, or fewer calories per serving than it did last year, they would find a clever way to do that. And, and they could devise the intervention uh, better than you or I could. And this was actually something we saw at the hospital cafeteria. The cafeteria manager was on board on this project, but she was ultimately responsible for the bottom line there. And we proposed a number of different interventions, um, and she came up with several of them. Um, we said, look, if you want to get customers uh, to buy more of this, we can do that. But you're not going to be able to get them to buy more of that. So bottled water was one great category. We started putting bottled water beside all the different food stations, uh, and sales went up dramatically. And that's, of course, a very healthy beverage. Um, we didn't have the insight to do that. She did. and if there was a way of incentivizing supermarket managers to think that way to try to make uh, calorie trade-offs in places where it's going to be easiest i think they could do a tremendous amount but by and large they don't they're not thinking that way and they're not incentivized to all
1: right so my guess is from what you've just told me that these markets see like a fast food place would that there are growing numbers of people who are interested in healthy things. And if they can appeal to that part of the consumer base, then they'll just have more people in the door and that means more business and things. Yeah. Okay, good. You know, one question I'd like to ask you is sort of a philosophical question that surrounds all your work. A lot of times you hear the word education used as, as a solution to problems like poor diet and obesity. We just need to drive consumer demand. We need to educate consumers so they want more of these products. Now, you've taking this on from a different angle instead of trying to go to consumers and educate them to to want these products you're trying to change the environment to encourage purchase of them in these various settings that's a it's an interesting strategic decision you've made and I'm curious about why you would pick that over the education approach
0: we've been trying for uh, education for a long time and there are certainly places where consumers do need to know more but on the basics um we, everybody knows exactly what the problem is. Uh, people are drinking too much sugared soda and, and too many high-calorie snacks, eating too often. Um, it's calories in, calories out, and by and large, we're too many calories in. Um, and most of the customer base out there knows it. The challenge is, how do, we, how do we manage ourselves? And this is something that people can understand even just in their own homes. When you have junk food around, you tend to eat it. And it's a similar thing in stores. When it's in stores, nicely displayed, you tend to buy it, um, even if you'd made a decision earlier in the day that you were less likely to. So I think the more interesting challenge and the place where we're really going to see change is if uh, stores and restaurants make a concerted effort to make it easier for people to do the things that they already know they need to do and want to do.
1: Well, I guess one could also make the argument that given that there are finite there's finite funding out there to do this kind of work, and government can only spend so much to help encourage healthy eating that you want to be most cost-effective in your approach. And my guess, although you tell me what you think about this, that if you had relied on education to produce the same kind of effects that you got in the hospitals and the fast food by working with people one at a time, the costs would have been very, very high compared to what your interventions cost.
0: Right. And one way of thinking about it is that our interventions are focused on uh, getting the right message at a particular moment, um, which is quite different from education, which is just giving people information at any old time, and they may act on it later on. Uh, so. Uh, delivery of the right message and in the right environment, I think, is what's what's really key, and and ultimately will be most cost effective.
1: Well, I'd like to ask, a, I'd like to end with a question about: Are you optimistic about where this will go in the future? And because I guess one one thing that impresses me is that you were able to find a fast food restaurant that was interested in doing this that one of the nation's most prominent hospitals was interested in doing the labeling intervention you talk about, and that supermarkets are interested in doing this. That would lead me, at least, to be optimistic that these institutions are thinking about what they can do to contribute in a positive way. But what's your feeling about where this might go?
0: I think there's some reason for optimism. The place where the action is really starting is with large employers. The hospital is a large employer. And many of their employees eat at the hospital, uh, so they pay for the downstream health effects of that bad eating behavior. To some extent, the same thing is true of the supermarket. Supermarkets employ a lot of people, many of whom eat at that supermarket. So they want their employees to be eating better. To the extent they can master the employee problem, there may be hope that they come to a better understanding of how to master the customer problem, which is a different challenge. And their incentives aren't quite as strong there. But the incentive is there to some extent, uh, and hopefully they can figure out that retailing problem. It's not happening fast, though, um, and I would like to see it happening much faster. I'd like to see restaurants and supermarkets taking many more risks um, and acknowledging that maybe some sales hits have to be taken at times. But when you're doing it in experiments or small scale in certain stores, uh, and that's really the only way to learn.
1: Well, the work you're doing certainly could help push that forward because you're providing objective data on what it does, and so stores and restaurants will know that they can do this and it won't adversely affect their sales and it'll be helping consumers and more people may come in the door there are a lot of very positive benefits to doing the kind of work you do, so congratulations and thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Kelly. Our guest was Dr. Jason Reese, Assistant Professor of Business Administration and the Marketing Unit of the Harvard Business School. Uh, Please visit our website, which is at www.yalerudcenter.org. You'll find lots of information on food and food policy issues, including an email newsletter that we send out at no cost, of course, on breaking news and food issues, and a list of the other excellent guests we've had uh, for their podcast. Thank you.